Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of, as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer, like entire team instruction and fitness programs, you know, the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete. Believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge, positive attitude, work ethic, and fun that their summer camps provide, your child will want to play on one of their teams. Check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high. The best part of the weekend, hugging a perfect stranger as they become a friend. Welcome into the BSN Broncos podcast presented by Elixinol. You know the deal on Elixinol. Jake Plummer loves it. I love it. Everyone who uses it loves it. It's a CBD uh, line of products that really has the potential to change your change your life. So whatever you're dealing with, give it a try. Of course, Plummer loves the hemp balm, which is just a topical pain reliever. You can just rub it on whatever aches and pains you have, uh, and and it'll give you some relief. So check out Elixinol.com today, and five percent of your uh, order will go to a nonprofit of your choice. Like I said, it's Ryan Konigsberg and Zach Stevens here at Denver Broncos headquarters. And for the second time this year, Zach and I were able to take in an entire Denver Broncos practice yesterday. And 
I felt it was um, very intense, a very intense practice, and I think the intensity was mostly brought by the defensive side of the ball, but there was a lot to take away, Zach, so where do you want to start? Ryan, why did the Broncos hire Vic Fangio? Uh, because he has really good metaphors. <laughs> that, yes. And I guess the defense. <laughs> to keep the defense elite, he, he, that, that, that's what he's here for is to make the defense great. And, Ryan, we got our first look at that yesterday. The, the, the first week of OTAs, we saw some back and forth between the offense and the defense. I wouldn't necessarily say one team, one side drastically beat the other. Yesterday, it was a total smackdown. The defense was dominant on every single level in the pass game, in the run game. And, Ryan, it started up front. Von Miller looked like Von Miller. Bradley Chubb? Look like Bradley Chubb that was a fifth fifth overall pick last year that had a fantastic rookie season and then took a huge step into year two. Now I know these guys aren't wearing pads, but Ryan, we got to go off what we're seeing. And what we saw, and Derek Wolf was also great in the middle. Shelby Harris mixing things up. What we saw was a front seven of terror. Yeah, uh, it was it was, you know, a mixture of pressures from all over the field that really made things not too fun for the offense. Um, and you mentioned that some of the names Bradley Chubb and to me was the most impressive player on the field yesterday. He was a beast. At one point I witnessed a coach go to another coach and say, did you see how fast he closed <laughs> down that running lane? Uh, as cause a, a speedy back tried to bounce it outside on him and he cut him down with ease and the defense blew up on the sideline they were hooting and hollering oh they were going crazy well they were like get him get him get him <laughs> and then like when he just like i mean it was like he was shot out of a cannon yeah. to close down the running back everyone went nuts so that and, the, and then really quick after practice i went and looked at, at bradley chubb's stats he's 269 pounds. i could not from what i saw him do on that closing speed to a speedy back i couldn't wrap my mind around that he was that big i just assumed he was in the 240s even though I know he's not yeah he's a freak um I don't, I don't like to overreact too much to one OTA practice but one media member in town was saying that after watching that practice that they could see him having 20 sacks this year <laughs> so I'm not going that far they're saying he's better than Von Miller they said they wouldn't be surprised if they if he had a better season than Von Miller now I don't think uh, it's fair to judge a season off of sack numbers because there's so many different things that go into it. Um, in the end, Von Miller is better than Bradley Chubb. But th it's, there's Bradley Chubb almost had more sacks than Von Miller last year. Mm -hmm. It is not inconceivable for him to surpass him th this year. And if that happens, a lot of the credit should go to Von Miller mm -hmm. for assisting that. But regardless, Chubb was the best player on the field. Von... Vaughn is funny in these practices because, first of all, I don't know if he's allowed to go 100% the whole practice, <laughs> or even 90% or 80%, whatever everyone else is going, he's not allowed to go that hard because he can just ruin a practice. I've seen multiple times where the coaches had to take him off the field because the offense couldn't get anything done. But So he'll go, let's say, 65% for a lot of the practice, give the offensive lineman a good look, et cetera, et cetera. But then it's like, it's like uh, if a pitcher just threw the changeup, the changeup, the changeup, the changeup, the changeup, the changeup. <laughs> well, then when they throw the fastball, it looks like it's coming at 300 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah. 
And so Vaughn, out of nowhere, will just go 100 on one play and just embarrass someone. His jump, his get-off still blows my mind. And, Ryan, we're not in pads. Uh, you know, it's the middle of May we're watching this, and it's still just amazing. It looks like the coach behind this, b- behind the offense is saying, okay, three two and Vaughn takes off he just (laughs) he just knows but of course that's not happening it's it's mind-blowing and so on the other side the the toughest time and day for the Broncos was on the offensive line I I don't know if it's because we we should start worrying about the offensive line and sounding the alarm bells like crazy pretty much along the entire offensive line or if it's the defensive line that's so good there's probably uh you know some work in the middle in there but ryan don barkley was uh was a starting right guard donnie barks <laughs> and Derek wolf was giving him fits all day long when vic fanjo said that he's like a veteran player who's been in a bunch of places i was that was new information to me i thought he was a, a rookie and i guess since we went here ron leary after practice last week, I was actually really impressed with the work Ron was doing on the field. Um, and then yesterday kind of seemed like he took a step back. He was out there. He was stretching, but uh, he didn't do m- many of the things on the practice field. After practice, Vic Fangio said, hopefully Ron Leary comes back this year. Hopefully he makes a full recovery. We hope that he's he's practicing before the, the summer break, and we hope to have him to be full go at training camp. That's not the tune that every other injured player uh, has had with Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio's been, yeah, he's going to be back. We're not worried about him. Hopefully for Ron Leary. And we saw what the replacement is. It's, it's Donnie. It's Donnie Barco. <laughs> uh, um, I, man, we, ta- we had a long conversation about the idea of, of Ron Leary not being back. That was with, the, with Sam Jones or Elijah Wilkinson stepping in at right guard. Right. The fact that Donnie B got a look there yesterday <laughs> is highly, highly concerning to me. And so cr- I'm crossing my fingers on Ron Leary at this point because I'm saying, all right, well, I'd rather have Ron than Don. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, with all due respect, I mean, he was putting some tough spots yesterday and it didn't turn out all too great for him. No, it it didn't. So that's something that we'll certainly keep our eye on. And continuing with the defense, since I threw us off there for a second, the secondary. And that's where I wanted to go with this is, and I'll let you talk, but I just wanted to present this hypothetical. The defense was great yesterday, right? Yep. So that means that the secondary had to have a great day, right? Yeah. Where were the two corners who were actually on the team last year that are in this rotation right now. They're not in, they're not in Colorado. Well, well I guess you're right. <laughs> I was talking about Gadam. Oh, okay. And oh, Chris. That, that were on the team. Yeah. Not there. Right. Right. So what does I that mean? Really quick. Gadam was at practice, but not practicing. So what does that mean? It means that Bryce Callahan, Devonte Bosby, <laughs> which I'm sticking to, even though someone tried to convince me it's Busby. <laughs> Uh, and who else was out there? In as as cornerbacks, mm-hmm. that was your group. That's those are your starting corners. Yep. So, if the defense was dominant, that means that those guys had some pretty good days. Now put Isaac to the side really quick, Ryan. Who would be behind those guys? 
Elijah Holder. Yep. Uh, we could go with uh, Horace Richardson. Richardson. I mean, that's that's what. And, and I mean, not to overlook Devonte Bosby. Ryan, this guy was playing in the AAF this year because he couldn't get a chance in the NFL. He's been playing football for 11 months, and he's out there as your starting corner. And that's when I really saw Vic Fangio's defense can be great and not need great cornerbacks. Correct. And that's kind of the point I was getting at earlier. One, those guys had to have good days. Two, they were kind of, It almost felt like they were masked, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you can you can kind of hide a corner in the system mm-hmm. and that is so such a stark difference from what we've seen over the last few years here i mean do you remember the game when Akib Tlaib got ejected in Oakland mm-hmm. Brendan Langley was thrown out there as a rookie who doesn't like going backwards <laughs> <laughs> and they were hosed it was game over yep. we might as well the, the second Akib Tlaib and Michael Crabtree did the most entertaining thing of the day, which I thank them for that. Uh, even though, like, my heart was racing, I thought someone might get seriously injured. Um, once that was over, we should have just said, okay, well, the Broncos lose. Yep. Because you can't hide a corner in that system. You That corner has to go one-on-one, and Brennan Langley's out there, hating going backwards, <laughs> matched up against Amari Cooper. Yeah. It was game over. Mm-hmm. This system, which in hindsight just seems so silly. Yeah. Like, what – you don't have a backup plan. Can you not go to zone? What are you doing? Right. Um, you, you just replaced the keep to leave with Brendan Langley and the whole defense stays the same. Yep. Not advisable, but now it's like, how many times did you see Devonte Bosby Bosby <laughs> matched up one-on-one getting exposed? Yeah. Zero it, times. It, it was not happening. And after practice, Cortland Sutton said, one of the things about this defense that makes it so tough to go against is Vic Fangio disguises the the coverage extremely well. The, before the play, the quarterback can't tell. During the play, the quarterback still can't tell what's going on. And that allows you to have number 41, Devontae Bosby, out there. It allows you to seamlessly move Bryce Callahan outside. It allows you to move Kareem Jackson in the slot when you need that third cornerback. And it it doesn't really matter, Ryan. You and I weren't saying during practice, oh gosh, check out this matchup. You got Bosby on Cortland Sutton in the red zone. And that happened. And what happened? Devontae Bosby was, was smothering him because, I, I would imagine, in large part because the defense was set up for success. And Joe Flacco had to throw it over Cortland Sutton's head. Man, um, it, and a lot of I, I tweeted that I thought Bosby had a great ga- a great day. A lot of people were like, "Well, why did Vic call him out after practice?" <laughs> and that's a great question. Um, I think it's one of those things where Vic has coached him before, and so he knows what he needs, and what he needs is a little bit of push. Also, you have to understand, a coach is going to have a very different look of things. Zach and I are going to see positives. Um, And, and of course, you know, if someone gets burned or, you know, there's a broken coverage or whatever it is, we're going to point that out too. But we are going to see, one, where the ball is. So if he's making good plays on the ball, that's one thing. And, and two, we're going – when something good happens, it's going to be easier for us to find. For a coach, there's a very good chance that he just sent – 
takes a play and just looks directly at the boss. And maybe he, because he mentioned he thought he looked tired out there on mm-hmm. some place. So maybe he didn't go 100%, but the ball went away from him. Right. And we're not going to see that. Like, we're on the sidelines. Or maybe it's one he lined thing, up n- nine yards off line scrimmage when he should be seven. Right. Exactly. Certain things like that. And especially when we're on the sidelines. Like, when we're up in the press box during right. a game, I can see everything. And I can single out certain matchups and watch them. We're on the sideline. We're trying to, one, see over, like, Alexander Johnson, who's standing in front of us at, like, 6'4". And, you know, then there's Justin Hollins. And you're, you're just, like, you're just trying to see what happens on the ball. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different thing. But I, I will say, in the end, what you're doing in coverage on the ball is more important than whether you lined up 9 or 7, uh, you know, off the line. To me... The fact that he is – it's not as if he's rotating in with the ones. He is the number two corner right now. Yes. To me, that tells you he has the fast track to make this football team. And Vic said, don't read into that. He's a guy still fighting to make a roster spot. That'd be pretty significant if he – now two weeks in that we've seen this. This isn't Donnie just rotating in here and there one practice. This is two straight weeks of seeing that. It would be be significant if he didn't make the team unless, you know, the Broncos – uh, get Chris back, and then they sign three more corners or something. Uh, and uh, Vic is different. How many times did Vance jo- when Vance Joseph called out a player publicly? That was an anomaly, right? We're like, oh my gosh, headline, right? Vic, he's gonna do it left and right. Not only has it done it, he done it to Devontae Bosby, who Vic says is you know fighting for a roster spot. He's done it to more times than not Von Miller. He's called Vaughn out. So this is just something that we need to get used to. Uh, you know, the, the mafia background in Vic, as, uh, as Bryce Callahan said, or Kareem Jackson said, is uh, it, it, he's just going to be straightforward and not just behind closed doors, but with us. It's a very good point. And Vaughn's probably gotten it more than anyone. So it's a standard that Vic is setting, that no one is safe. No I one is, it. yeah, exactly. No one is protected uh, more than the other guys. And you know what? I talked to a player this this last weekend about Vic Fangio. And he said, I love how everyone stands on the same ground. He doesn't play favorites. And he kept repeating that to me. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't play favorites. That's what we love. And if you're one of the guys who was the favorites, you might not love that as much. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, um, a second string guy or a guy who is fighting to make it into the starting lineup, it makes you feel like you have a chance to crack the starting lineup if there's no favorites being played. And part of it, maybe Vic Fangio is just always that way. Part of it is that he doesn't really have any loyalty to anyone except really the rookies right now, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess Devontae Bosby. Uh, but at... As it stands, everyone is on the same ground, and players do appreciate it. And ni- what is it? The 99% that isn't usually played favorite by the coach? Well, all of those people are going to appreciate it. Right. If Von Miller feels a little bit slighted <laughs> because he got called out or something, you can deal with that. Right. Ex- exactly. I, I agree with you 100%. So, Ryan, the defense was great. It means the quarterbacks must have been awful, right? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, 
they were under a lot of pressure. So I guess if you're going to point to someone whose fault it was, mm-hmm. you would point to the offensive line. Exactly. Did we see because they were under pressure? Did we see tons of terrible throws and a lot of interceptions and and them holding their heads hands and just looking so frustrated and confused and miserable? No. No. We we didn't. What we saw was we saw a lot of sacks. And uh, do you like seeing that? No, of course not. Do you like seeing a sack more than a terrible errant throw and just getting the ball out? No, because if you're going to practice like that, you're going to play like that. And would you rather have a second and 14? Or would you rather have the other team have the ball at your own 40 because you just threw an interception? Of course, the, the sack is what you want. And again, you, you, you hit it on the head. The offensive line wasn't very good. The quarterbacks, to me, they were fine. They, they were fine. Now, Joe Flacco wasn't lighting it up like he was last week where I don't, I don't know if a ball hit the ground last week. He was making all the right decisions. This time it was nearly like every other play, almost a sack. And I really liked the way that both of them, but specifically Drew, moved around in the pocket when there was pressure. Uh, neither of them were really scrambling and taking off, but they were moving sideline to sideline with their feet while keeping their eyes downfield, their shoulders downfield. That that was so impressive to me. Of course, you expect Flacco to be able to do that, but from Drew, and Ryan, I guess this is when we should talk about Drew Locke, I thought, I thought he was great, and, and, and I was so encouraged from what I saw from him progressing just from week one to week two. Now, maybe it's an anomaly, and we're going to find out next week that he's more similar to, to the week one, Drew, than the week two. But, boy, if this trend continues, maybe we need to jump back on that train, Ryan. I um, First of all, on Joe Flacco and the offensive line, I already just want to say this because I know that, like, a bunch of people are listening to this saying, oh, my God, the offensive line's in shambles again. Uh, they have no chance. Joe can't stand back. They're like, it's week two of OTAs. The, the defense is always ahead of the offense this time of year. Um, they definitely went into the day with an idea of let's make things really hard on the offense. And, it's, and a team can do that in training camp. Remember, there's no risk here. You can send an all-out blitz on every play in training camp or OTAs, and there's no repercussions. Um, so if, if Vic Fangio said, hey, let's go make things really tough on the offense today and see how they react, then they can do that. And so that's one thing that I think was part of it. They wanted to send pressure all day long and make these quarterbacks really think and move and put pressure on the offensive line and Donnie B and <laughs> just go at them. And they went at them. So just keep that in mind. Uh, also, keep in mind that Don Barkley was starting at right guard. <laughs> um, and Joe made some good plays. Um, he he attacks the middle of the field in a very efficient way. He's very good at, in the middle of the field putting the ball where only his guy can get it, whether that's low, whether it's a little outside, whatever it is. I, I've noticed that with him is he can – he can get it into little windows there mm-hmm. where only his receiver can get it. Um, <laughs> Drew, this is going to happen a lot. And I think I might have said this last week, and I'm going to say it this week. Every time we see a practice, I bet you Drew Locke makes the most impressive throw of the day. Oh, yeah. Because he just has so much to work with. He's out there, and same thing goes for him as the defense. He can take risks out here. 
Um, I bet you if you throw him into a game week one, he's going to be a little hesitant to do the sidestep, sidearm, mm-hmm. yeah. zip to the right side. It's also natural for him, so maybe he does it. But that's the throw that I want to talk about because I think it's – you know, everyone wants to talk about the, the end of the practice throw to Noah Fant. But you and I saw this throw, and I think we noticed it more than anyone else. Yeah. Drew Locke's in the pocket. Pressure comes from his right side, so it's coming right at him. He steps left twice, two short little uh, stutter steps, I guess you would say, to the left to get into an opening. And then as he's doing that, a crossing route is coming across his face. So he's going away from that route against the grain, and also a little lane opens up where the pressure came through on the line because obviously, you know, the – I just I think it, maybe it was Barclay, maybe it was someone else. But the right guard got knocked back. We'll just say Donnie. So now there's now there's a window here, right? Yep. He steps left twice and sidearms it to get it through that window. And it's not as if it was it was a perfect pass right into the hands, I think, of Noah Fant. Um, or is Brian Parker still around? <laughs> uh, someone like that. Uh, but to the tight end who's coming across. And it was just so easy and natural for him. It was just like a, a bang, bang, step, step, toss. And we both looked at each other and were like, whoa. And you're mm-hmm. like, that's my play. That's the throw of the day right there. Um, he is so equipped mm-hmm. with the physical stuff and the instincts mm-hmm. and all of those things that you want. He does have a long way to go to understanding the defenses. The defenses confused the heck out of him yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was you know, stuck back there. With nothing to do, even in seven on sevens a couple times, and people will probably freak out over hearing that. It happens to Joe, too. It happens to everyone. Um, a lot of times the coach will tell you to just throw it. I actually think these coach don't these coaches don't say <laughs> yeah. that because Joe tucked it a couple times too. Yep. I mean, didn't really tuck it, you just the whistle blows or you whatever. But he has a lot to, un- to learn in terms of diagnosing defenses. He's probably, you know, shooting hoops of the medicine ball going up against this defense. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm sure he would love to go up against a defense that just plays press man right now. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the instincts, the physical tools, the ability to get balls into tight windows, he has it in spades. And I was just so impressed with his pocket presence and composure and poise yesterday. And the footwork. I mean, the the way, instead of just taking off like he did last week, he was manipulating the pocket, moving around, bouncing up, bouncing back, left, right, while keeping his eyes downfield. That... That is huge. That is something that you know Paxton never did. When it when it was when it was oh no, there's pressure. It was tuck and go. Saw that a little bit last week with Drew. Don't know if I saw it once this week with Drew. And man, I I, I the strides he took. Maybe it's just one practice. And I'm sure there's going to be some setbacks. It's not going to be all all uh, forward going from here. But it was. I was really really impressed with that especially when there was so much pressure in his face all day absolutely um i'd love to hear another account from rich gangarello on how his play calls are doing but everything else is moving forward and the broncos really have him in a great situation because even paxton lynch and and i don't believe in ruining players i've already said that but even paxton lynch the pressure was on him from the first practice to win the starting job I mean, it was, remember, Mark Sanchez was just the first step in the process, which at the time everyone interpreted as, okay, he's just going to be a backup. 
But then you bring in Paxton Lynch, and the whole Broncos world is looking at Paxton Lynch like, save us, because otherwise Mark Sanchez is our starter. At this time, mm-hmm. Trevor Simeon was an afterthought. Yep. And if you remember correctly, when, when we were – it was OTAs. Back in this day, all the OTAs were open. Right. So by today, we had already seen four practices. And by the end of this week, we had already seen six practices. And we were saying – uh, obviously, it wasn't you and I on the podcast way back then, but people who were at the practices were saying, Trevor Simeon's the best quarterback <laughs> yeah. out there. Yeah. And, and the um, contrarian media was going nuts. Like, yeah. oh, my God, why are they pushing this narrative? He, you know, this third string guy, everyone yeah. loves him. This is classic. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying he's the best quarterback of these three. Yeah. Of course – you know, it wasn't just me. There was a lot of people out there who could see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, by the end of OTAs, Gary Kubiak said it's going to be a competition between Mark Sanchez and Trevor Simeon. So there was all this pressure on Paxton from day one. There's pr- always going to be pressure on a quarterback who's drafted. That's inevitable. But I like the fact that Drew Locke does, isn't having to take shortcuts. Because mm-hmm. I think if if he was being counted on to be the starter right now, there would have to be some shortcuts. It's like when you take a, a summer class in college, you don't get a whole semester to learn the class. So they're saying, hey, we got to pack three weeks into every week. And you guys are going to have to learn quickly and you're going to have to soak it up fast. And you're going to have to do a little bit of work outside of class too right. just to make sure that you're getting this because the final is the same as it is for the semester class. So some people really like that. It's going down a different <laughs> road. I hated it. Um, for Drew, it's not, he doesn't have to take the summer class. In fact, he gets the whole, the whole full year class. Yeah. They don't have to pack three weeks into one week. They can pack one week into two weeks mm-hmm. and take it slow with him. And I know there's probably a little hope in Broncos country that he goes and Russell Wilson's the mm-hmm. thing. And that, and that'd be great too. But I like the fact that there's no shortcuts having to be taken. If, if he doesn't get something, they can go back to it. And do it again, and do it again, and do it again until he gets it, and then move on to the next thing. There's no forced um, lesson plan here where they're saying, "Sorry, Drew, I know that you don't understand uh, whatever it is on that seven-step drop, but the class is moving on <laughs> to the next thing right now, and we don't have time to just stay back with you to make sure you get it." No, they do, and even. And even in a scenario where Rich Gangarello needs to move on with the rest of the offense, T.C. McCartney can work on the side with Drew Locke over and over and over and over and over again until he gets it. So it's a really great situation for him to be in. And I think you're going to see his development be more linear. I know you said there's going to be some setbacks. And, of course, he's going to have a day where he throws four picks or something like that. But Watch your mouth. I think you'll see, you'll see a more linear progression with him. Because there's no need to force anything. There's no need to rush any part of his development. And whatever they're doing, keep doing it because the progress from week one to week two was incredible. And Ryan, why they're able to do that is because they have Joe Flacco. And maybe the moment of the day, the the eye-opening part of the day was right at the end of practice, near the end, I should say, when Joe Flacco did something that we haven't seen in Denver ever since we've been covering right and like i tweeted this and i said i've never seen that 
I haven't ever seen that around here. And people were like, John Elway did it all the time. I'm like, buddy, I wasn't covering the team when John Elway was the quarterback. In fact, I was six years old. So uh, even if that happened in a game, I don't remember it. Anyways, um, what happened was they – and I'm bummed that Drew Locke didn't get to run these plays. But they ran the play action, deep drop, let it fly two times in a row for Joe Flacco. The first time, he uncorked one, overthrew the receiver. I forget who it was, but it was Cortland, right? Or was yeah, that the second? No, yep. it was Cortland on the first one. He overthrew Cortland by I don't know three or four yards, barely mm-hmm. overthrew him. This was sixty yards down the field, and we were, when we were looking at each other, like, whoa, that was a bomb. Yep. Next play, they do the exact same thing. This time, the target is Aaron Burbridge. Congrats to him for getting his first mention on this podcast. Uh, and Flacco, there he had to wait a little longer because there was pressure in his face. So he had to step outside of the pressure, which meant the, the route was further downfield. He uncorks one and overthrows Aaron Burbridge, <laughs> who was standing 70 yards beyond where the, the ball came out of. Mm-hmm. That was wild. <laughs> it, it, it was wild. Ryan. Joe Flacco is overthrowing deep bombs. I mean, the arm strength is real. We saw it last week with, you know, getting the zip on passes and fitting it in the tight windows. It, they were focused on short stuff. At the end of practice, that was um, that was amazing. Now, people are saying, it was incomplete. Yes, it was incomplete. Is it perfect? No, of course not. But this this opens a whole nother part of the game that we haven't seen I mean, when, when was the last time we saw a deep threat quarterback? Keep going. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at early Tim Tebow Peyton now. Manning. I yeah. mean, early yeah. Peyton Manning. Like 2012, 2013 Peyton Manning could still uncork one. But even him, no one would ever. No one's ever said Peyton Manning has a cannon of an arm or anything like that. And that, that wasn't the game plan was to just go deep. Joe Flacco, that's going to be the deep plan. Drew, Drew Locke, whenever it is. That's going to be the deep plan or, or the game plan, and I absolutely love it. It's going to be exciting. And you know what? The, what's not the worst thing about overthrowing a deep ball is it's an incompletion. When you're going 70 yards downfield, there's no high safety that lines up 50 yards behind the line of scrimmage at the start of the play, so he's there for that. Underthrowing, you're in trouble. I mean, Joe Joe Flacco or Kareem uh, Raheem Moore knows about that you know trying to pick off an underthrown ball by joe flacco joe doesn't do that so if you're going to have it incomplete that's great yeah and i don't want to like overstate this it was just a cool thing to see like the ball was just soaring uh and and like i said it was just something i was like huh i haven't seen that before that was crazy um but you do see the fact like i guess you just have to picture this play in your head because i can i can picture it perfectly and you can choose whatever, you know, noodle-armed quarterback you want to you wanna put behind center. But I'm thinking of Case Keenum. He drops back. And mm-hmm. the t- Case Keenum actually was very efficient throwing the deep ball last year, um, especially to the middle of the field. Maybe efficient is the wrong word. He made some plays. But you have to think of when there's pressure in his face. Now the timing of the route is thrown off, right? Because if you just hit your back foot and uncork one like you did to Emmanuel Sanders on that wide-open one in Arizona – well, every NFL quarterback should make that throw. Right. But 
imagine now that the pass rusher has gotten into his face once he hit the back. So he had to step up or step out uh, of the pressure. Now that receiver is way further down the field. And when you're picturing this in your head, you normally imagine, let's say it's third and 15 or whatever, he has to throw it. He throws it up there and it just ends up being a jump ball and maybe you get a pass interference or whatever. But you usually don't see the quarterback hit the guy in stride on that. That's what was most impressive to me is Joe had to wait, and that's why that guy ended up being 70 yards down the field because you don't draw up a play where you throw it to a guy who's 70 yards down the field <laughs> unless maybe you have Patrick Mahomes. But he, the, the timing of the play was thrown off, and then he overthrew it. That's when I was just like, whoa, he could throw this. Now, I want to see Drew Locke do it too. The funny thing about Drew Locke is um, I was watching that, that draft academy or whatever. His pro day was at the indoor facility for Missouri. The indoor facility for Missouri only goes 70 yards, <laughs> which I've never understood why anyone does no. that. CSU did the same thing. I'm like, why are, you, why are you making a fake football field? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Anyways, his quarterback coach, Jordan Palmer, is like, this is annoying because I can't let him air. I, uh, there's no way for me to show off how, how big his arm really is. Right. So they have Drew Locke like, uh, scrambling into the very, very back of the end zone <laughs> and then throwing it all the way across the entire field into the other end zone, which is 70 yards. But it, it's just I wanted to see Drew do it because that's the closest I've seen to, ever seeing to ever seeing him completely let it go as far as he can. Hopefully we get to see it soon. But to see Joe Flacco do that, it was like, okay. This guy's arm is is very clearly on a different plane than any of the guys we've seen around here recently. All right, why don't we take a quick break here, and when we come back, I'm sure there are plenty of questions from the listeners from yesterday. The Colorado Golf Association is dedicated to preserving, improving, and serving the game of golf here in Colorado, and right now they're conducting their annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle. Ed May, executive director of the Colorado Golf Association, gave us some more info on what exactly you can win if you enter. We had six grand prizes this year and 40-plus other prizes. So the, the big ticket items, so to speak, or the grand prizes are a trip to the BMW Championship, including VIP access, thanks to our partnership with BMW. Uh, we have a trip to Streamsong. We have a trip to Bandon Dunes. We have a trip to Sand Valley. And then we have what I think might be the coolest, a chance to take an, uh, a 7 Series BMW down to Telluride to play in a CGA-only event. The raffle tickets will go on sale on our website, coloradogolf.org. Tickets are $40, and you know all the proceeds from the raffle are going to support youth development in the state of Colorado. So you're making a great donation to a great cause, but you're also having a chance to uh, really have a fantastic dream golf vacation. For a chance to win, be sure to go to coloradogolfassociation.org. Second segment here on the BSN Broncos podcast presented by Lixnall. It's RK and Zach, as always. And we, as always, have many questions to get to. So let's start first here with True Champ Fan 24 and I wonder if you can guess what he wants to talk about. <laughs> he says, I'm coming in hot before even listening to yesterday's pod. I was reading an article someone had posted about Champ's Ring of Fame news. Boys, let me tell you what. The disrespect from the comment section was real and really uneducated. Now, I may be a bit champ bias, username, daughter's initials, my entire office, but reading some of the comments like champ was only good at getting burnt by Tory Smith or that he was only a good cover corner who shied away from contact. Maybe it's uh, some people our age, but I don't understand how people grew up watching the Broncos and look at champ freaking Bailey and see a meh player. 
Am I missing something? Am I blinded by my love of champ? Or some people are some people really just that dumb? Much love and keep up the good work. Even you, Elway. It was a good week. Don't worry, champ. True champ fan 24. You can calm down. You're in a safe space right now. You're with safe company. Champ was the GOAT. Champ was fantastic. He deserved to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He deserved to be a ring of famer the first year he that, that he was eligible. He deserves to be, well, it, it's hard to say this, but he is the first Broncos player to go in the ring of fame and the Hall of Fame in the same same year. And he certainly deserves that. He was He was amazing. He was amazing. So, yeah, I don't know what those comments are about. You didn't have to say anything other than first ballot Hall <laughs> of Famer. First ballot Hall of Famer. Yep. First ballot Hall of Famer. Yep. First ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> That's all you have to say. Like, that not – do you know how hard it is to be a first ballot Hall of Famer coming out of Denver? No. Nearly impossible. Because no one gets any respect around here. So that's all you have to say. I mean, anyone, my advice to you, don't read the damn comment section. <laughs> it sounds like like I can just tell based off of what you're saying. It was on Facebook. <laughs> yep. That is a the, the biggest group of idiots on the internet. What Read this comment section because the next one coming in from Lone Star Bronco hold, says. Hold on really quick. Um. The fact that anyone would say he shied away from contact is the most ridiculous thing I've oh, ever heard. He was fantastic. That's tackler. why. That's like why he was the first ballot Hall of Famer. It's because not only was all. he the best cover corner of his generation, but he also was the best tackling corner of his generation. Yep. And Lone Star Bronco just playing along the same tune says champ in the hall and ring of fame in the same year. The only thing better would be if I could make it to Canton for the induction, but I cannot sadly gonna try and make it for pfm next year ryan is trying so hard to make it to arizona all the while i'm trying to get retired in denver lol all in for the bsn forum regarding the aforementioned honeymoon we will be stopping in mexico jamaica the cayman islands so more food talk to come Mm, got some mexican food and then some caribbean food Mm, delicious that sounds pretty good i don't think there's gonna be any champ hate in this comment section there's never gonna be dumb comments like <laughs> once in a while we get a comment where we're like whoa whoa whoa, calm down but rarely do you see someone coming in here with some blasphemous <laughs> bs <laughs> all right from broncos 710 hey rk and zach hope you ha- are having a good week so far i i am zach was until you misspelled his name <laughs> uh, um, the broncos handing chris harris jr all that cash and letting him walk would make zero sense nothing against chris but he just doesn't have the leverage Give him three years and let him retire here. He goes on. With most of the running back hype surrounding Philip Lindsay, what are your guys' predictions for Royce Freeman this next year? We all know that our feature back is Lindsay, no doubt. But does Royce get some more touches in the new offense? With that being said, do we think Deshaun Hamilton fills a bigger role? More than excited for this season, go donkeys. We can forget about food. Do you guys have any personal – oh, we can't forget about food, I think is what he meant to say. Do you guys have any personal hidden gem restaurants – here in the mile high i do i don't i don't know how much of a hidden gem it is but it's called my brother's bar and ryan it's not too far from where you are best burger i've ever had in my life it doesn't say its name anywhere on it it's closed i think on sundays they closed for two weeks uh in the the middle of winter it's been around forever that's that's my hidden gem it's amazing but watch out because there's also a place called like brother's bar and maybe like Barr's brother. There's so many that people get confused with. There's so many. I mean, Denver is just like flooded with great restaurants. I think yeah. any big city probably you can say that about. Right. Um, 
my hidden gem. This is the most hidden gem I have. Mm. This is a deep cut. <laughs> you B sure side. you want to expose it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Denver, a little west of the city, there's a place called Edgewater, which is wraps around Sloan's Lake. On the main street that goes east and west, there is a Thai restaurant called U.S. Thai. That's all it is, just U.S. Thai. It has a tiny little sign. They have some freaking amazing curries. I mean, the Spicy Thai curry there. Can be. Oh, so spicy. Uh, 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 uh. One of the ones where if you ask for the hot, they're like, uh-uh. Trust me, you want the medium. Oh, my gosh. Um, so that that is my hiddenest gem. Uh, there's plenty, though. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones that, I mean... A lot of BSN business has taken place at McCoy's Diner. Mm-hmm. It's not really like it's just it's just a diner, right. but uh, it's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> uh, and then I've told you guys about my breakfast spot, mm-hmm. which is definitely that's like the second most hidden gem. <laughs> and that, that's another one. I feel like if you just go a little west of the city, that's where all the uh, that's where all the hidden gems are. This one is called the Chalet, and for my money, by far the best breakfast in Denver. It sounds delicious. Ryan, Royce Phillips, Royce Freeman's role. Royce Phillips. Who's that? <laughs> uh, 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 uh. It's the backfield this Dang, year. Dang, if you mix Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay, that's how you get Royce Phillips. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, uh. And that guy would be unstoppable. <laughs> that's like Terrell Davis, I guess. Um, I think his role will be increased. He'll be healthy. So instantly, well, you hope he's going to be healthy. I'll touch wood. Um, so instantly... He's going to get more carries just because of that. Remember, all you know, for a while there, it was just Phil, and that's how he took the starting role. It was Phil and Devontae, of course, but just Phil. Yeah. This year, I think you're going to see him get an increase in carries. You'll probably see Phil's carries go down. Maybe his touches go up, though, because I feel like Rich Gangrel is a smart enough man to know how to use Philip Lindsay in all the right ways. Um, so I bet Phil's t- uh, rushes and rushing yards go down, but maybe his overall all-purpose yards go up you'll see Royce's carries go up the one thing with like a running back like Royce Freeman though is I always feel like he's a rhythm back and that's always concerning for me in 2019 because how often especially if you don't have a really potent offense how often does a running back get a chance to get into a rhythm that means if you run it on first and 10 and you get two you got to run it on second down too and then on the next series, when you're down 7-0, are you going to do it again? Right. Are you going to run it on second and eight with Royce Freeman again, down 7-0, after he just, he's got two carries for four yards right now? Usually in 2019, the answer is no. But if you are truly committed to the running game, you will run it there. And eventually, Royce Freeman, I think, will find his groove. But I, I just don't know. Philip Lindsay's not like that. Philip Lindsay, you can hand it to him on first and ten. He bites off eight. The next one, he's got six, and then you're just like off to the races, and you you feel like you never have to look back. With Royce, I feel like you have to be a little more patient and give him time to find his rhythm. I completely agree with your assessment. I think Philip is going to see less rushing yards, maybe less carries too. Royce is going to see an increase uh, as a true running back, and that's not bad because I think Philip will see hopefully. We'll see more touches as he deserves it. I think Rich Gangrello is going to use him more, uh, and and so I do. I wouldn't be shocked if Royce and Phil end the year with the same amount of carries, because Phil's also getting what 
four catches a game. That's how it should be, at least. You should be using him in space and letting Royce take a lot of the grunt work in between the tackles. Now, of course, don't just use Philip Lindsay as a third down back. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying don't run him in between the tackles, but use use them to their strengths. And then when Phil does go up the middle, he's just going to bust one for 70 because the defense isn't ready for it. it have him sleep on Royce, have him sleep on Phil. Uh, and so I, I do see it being more of a collective effort than you would initially think with having a 1,000-yard rusher on your hands. I think that's the uh, general game plan. But I think they're going to have a really hard time handing the ball to Royce Freeman when Phillips averaging seven yards per carry in the game. You know, he's got yep. he's got four carries for 28 yards where Royce has, you know, four for 12. And it's just – it's hard for – I mean, the Broncos tried in the first half of last season to think that didn't matter. Once Phil became the feature back, it was game over. And they were like, wow, he can take 20 carries and continue to average 6.5 yards per game. So – or per carry. So – it's tough. Uh, we'll see. I think the original plan will be to have the carries be pretty even. I just think once you're in the heart of a game and one guy is averaging seven yards a carry, it's just it's hard not to keep giving him the ball. Exactly. Next one coming in from Golf Guy. Ryan, this is your guy. He says, what's the one game this season that you are most looking forward to watching and why? Sorry for the long post. Winky face, LOL. Uh, week one against the Raiders because it's so far away and I just want it to be here. <laughs> Can I say the Cleveland Browns? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Cleveland Browns. I'm Maybe also, also Green Bay in Green Bay. Yep, the Fangio Bowl. Yep, home opener. It starts. It starts pretty good. I'm so I just oh it's so far away. Now that basketball and hockey are gone, I'm itching. Think about this though. Training camp is less than two months away. Is it that much? <laughs> I get June always goes by fast because we don't have to be yep. anywhere. Yep. Um, June actually goes by too fast. Yep. Because I'm like, all right, I've got 40 days. I need to get in 20 rounds of golf. <laughs> How do I do this? The surprise is not 40 for 40. I would love to go 40 for 40. I just don't have that kind of money. <laughs> Next one from Samuel B. Sue. He says, hey, guys, does Kareem Jackson play the free safety position or the strong safety position? Is he the kind of center fielder with instincts that Andre s- says the team was missing? Here's an – well, we'll start on that. He's – he's from what we've seen, he's been playing everywhere. I mean, I, I kind of mentioned in the first segment, he's the slot corner. When you, when you need a third cornerback, he's filling that role. He's the high safety. He's really been everywhere. I've seen Justin and him just – switch think of it this way he has the cover skills and the ball skills to be a corner which translates very well to free safety yeah and he has the hitting uh as philip Lindsay learned Mm -hmm. of uh you know a linebacker yep which translates really well to strong safety so you can put you can really play him anywhere and there's going to be so much versatility in that back end he says here's another question so we can keep the podcast longer and traffic won't drive me crazy which position group do you think has the highest potential on offense? Offensive line, wide receiver, tight end, running back, or quarterback? Most potential. I'm going to eliminate offensive line right now. Yep, that's gone. <sighs> tight end probably has to go just because the top end talent isn't high enough. Yeah. Um, mm. Quarterback, Are we talk, is Drew Locke included here? Or are we, are talking, we talking this year or are we yeah. talking for the future? Fi- Let's just say future, this year. Future quarterback one. for me. Yeah, week one. Hmm. Probably wide receiver. I would go. Because if 
Emmanuel Sanders is healthy. You have a pro bowler. Cortland Sutton takes a step forward. You have a p- potential pro bowler. Deshaun Hamilton, and uh, there was a question about Deshaun that we missed. Uh, we just forgot to get to in one of the earlier ones. Deshaun Hamilton, I think, could potentially lead the team in third down catches. Um, Tim Patrick, faster than people give him credit for. Like, there's a lot to work with there. And we didn't even talk about Brendan Langley, who maybe. Or jo- uh, Juwan Winfrey, who has all the tools. So to me... If everything like we're living in a fantasy world here where everything pans out, everything pans out wide receiver to me. I'm going running back because you have a thousand yard rusher on your team. Ryan, you mentioned it. He's averaging seven yards per carry and he's just dynamic in terms of ceiling. I'll go with Phil. I'll go with Phil. Samuel also adds, he says, keep up the great work. The articles on your website are excellent and are worth every penny of the subscription. Thank you. All right. Next one here is from Mike Apexa. He says, I think I do see a logical reason for giving Chris a one-year pay raise. I think the biggest obstacle between Chris and the Broncos is figuring out his true value. Chris wants $15 million and points to his high level of play and a hometown discount that he took last time. The Broncos point to his 30th birthday coming up and say he is worth more like 11 or so. So how do you figure out his true value? Let the open market decide. Elway has taken this approach before with Denver's free agents. Give Chris a good faith pay raise this year say of three million and then next year tell him they have a three-year deal at 11 million per per for him that's how much they have to spend and that is what they think he's worth not going to budge then chris can hit the open market and see how the rest of the nfl values him there's some team out there who's willing to give him 12 13 or 15 million good for chris he moves on and gets paid and the broncos work on replacing him but if the mark broncos if the market says the same thing the broncos are saying that a 30 year old top end corner is not worth more than around 11 million then maybe the good faith pay raise this year brings him back to Denver for what the open market has proven to be fair market value. P.S. I'm heading to Hawaii soon. K. Pang, are you in Oahu? Anyone else? Find me on Facebook. We should get a little BSN Broncos Hawaii crew together to watch games and talk Broncos. I love it. You guys have to do that. Let us know how that uh, comes together. And it's Micah Pexa if you're looking for him on Facebook. P-E-X-A. If you let Chris hit the open market... Bye-bye. See ya. It was, it was nice having you on our team. Thanks for everything you've done. The difference between Kareem Jackson and Chris Harris is significant. When Kareem Jackson was on the market, was he a good player? Yeah. Have I liked what I've seen from him so far? Yeah. How many Pro Bowls does he have, Ryan? How many All-Pros does he have? Zero. None. Zero. Chris, he hits it. If he has another good year this year, then we're talking five Pro Bowls. Uh, how many snubs for the Pro Bowls? Three. He's going to be on a whole different level. So that $11 million the Broncos offer is going to look silly, and there's no way. If they, if they don't offer him, if they only give him a $3 million pay, pay raise this year, which is crazy to say, he's going to be spurned, and he's going he's gonna to leave Denver. There's going to be no question about it. I like the thought. It's the closest thing I've seen to something that makes sense of why you would want to do this. Right. The problem is that someone who feels they're a corner away from a Super Bowl will pay Chris that much money happily. And that's just the way it is. His market value is that high um, because once you hit the open market, your value skyrockets. Exactly. Next one from Minnesota. Paul says, I like the Flacco Chronicles. My name suggestion for the Drew Locke, Joe Flack, Flacco saga is the Floga? The Flaga? Uh, Floga? It's a good try. But I think we're going to go with the Flacco Chronicles <laughs> uh, 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 uh. just because it, it sounds really important maybe help us out there with a name pronunciation if we're saying it wrong all right plenty more questions to get to but first let's talk about house lift colorado 
Are you thinking about selling your house, but it's not in tip-top condition? How do you ensure you'll maximize your profit? If your house is in need of an upgrade, Houselift can assist in eliminating all the stress of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire. And get this, zero upfront costs for you, the homeowner. That's right. You won't pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until your house closes. Houselift will handle everything, from the contractors to the design, all while managing the costs. Here's what you need to do. Head to their website or their Facebook page, Houselift Colorado or HouseLiftColorado.com, and check out the incredible remodels Houselift has done for homeowners in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from fifteen to 60000 more in their clients' pockets. Call 303-885-7888 today to find out what Houselift can do for you. Oh, and if you hire one of their preferred realtors, they'll sell your home without charging a listing commission. All right, Zach, who do we got next? Coming in from Drop Switching, Ryan. Get ready for this. Two very random questions. First, what is your favorite city in Colorado? Boulder. Yeah, of course. Outside of Denver, Denver's my favorite. Outside of Denver, I'll go Vail. Vail is a great city. Uh, my family used to have a place there. And that actually brings me to another place, which is where my family <laughs> now has a place, which is Steamboat. Mm-hmm. It is... Whenever I feel there, I feel I'm truly in a Colorado city. Mm. Like, it just has all of the characteristics. It has the mountains. It has kind of like the cow- the western... Yep cowboy type of feel to it um it's picturesque it's Mm -hmm. beautiful there's also like a little bit of um westerner vibe that you just get from the people that live there Mm -hmm. so that's that's a great one of course i was going to choose boulder denver is definitely my second favorite i'm trying to think if there's any like random ones (laughs) that come to mind you can't go wrong i mean there's so especially once you head to the mountains you, you can't go wrong and then ready for this one, he says, who would make the better pirate between you two? That's an interesting one. <laughs> I don't know what we're judging on here. Yeah, I, I don't either. I feel like you have to be a little bit, like, um, schemy. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you have to be kind of rugged. Were you ever a pirate for Halloween? Nope. I don't think I was either. How would you do on the open seas? Uh, maybe a little seasick. <laughs> I think I would. <laughs> That's how we'll do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've I've only experienced seasickness once, and it was on a tr- you call it a trolley. Yeah, and d- yeah, that went from Playa del Carmen to Cozumel, and they specifically said. If you sit in the bottom of the boat, you're at a much higher risk for seasickness. <laughs> you sat in the bottom I was of like, the boat? Not going to affect me. <laughs> sat in the bottom of the boat. And the crazy thing is like, I don't know, you feel like you're like in the waves because mm-hmm. you can like see them out the window. It's like a plane window. And like the waves are here. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I got to get out of here. <laughs> My whole family was sitting on the very top of the boat, like enjoying the views. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is much better with the breeze in your face. You and would be the uh, the rebel. Yeah, I was literally like, without a cause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, the pirate in me. Uh, I was, yeah. That's the only time I've ever felt it. Whenever I'm like on a boat, boat, just in the air. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> Next one from Inside Line Broncos. Little random, but not as random. He says, "Better arm, Josh Allen, the quarterback, not pass rusher, or Drew Locke." Here's what I'll say on this. I bet you Josh Allen could throw a ball further. Yeah. Um. And boy, did did the pre-draft process try to tell you that. Yeah, I mean, he can throw a ball for miles. But 
I'm going to say it again. I say it all the time. Locke's got the easier cheese. He has a smaller windup. So that's why, uh, you know, think of like a, you know, um, Dustin Johnson. He can hit the heck out of the ball because he has that long windup. Or you think of like a Chris Sale as a pitcher. The taller you are, the longer everything gets. Right. And you can get more velocity, you know, in, in more distance because you have more of a windup. Drew Locke doesn't have that big windup. Yeah. But that makes it easier for him to just zip one to the sideline mm-hmm. or zip one in the middle. Yeah. So in the end, I'd rather have the easy cheese yep. than the, you know, able to throw a ball 90 yards. Better arm? Give me Drew Locke. You need a Hail Mary from your own 10, 10 yard line? Probably give me Josh Allen. Exactly. <laughs> Next one coming in from Vertical Socks. He says, the problem with news coming out of scrimmages, I think he means OTAs, is that every piece of good news has a corresponding piece of bad news. If the offense scores a touchdown, great. But that also means the defense gave up a touchdown. So while I was happy to hear that the quarterbacks were under constant pressure yesterday, I was also disappointed in that it's not what I was hoping to hear about the new offensive line under Mike Munchak. So I was just curious to hear what you observed about the offensive line. Was everyone giving up pressure, or was it in one or two players were having problems? And did that just look like a typical case of the defense being ahead of the offense this early in the offseason, or were there more troubling signs? Uh, we talked about it, but here's, here's just the question. Where is the investment on this team? Defense. Is it on the... Is it in Garrett Bowles or is it in Von Miller? Easy. Is it in um, – well, Juwan James is, is a good case there. They've they've tried to solidify that. I, I didn't see anything bad from I didn't Juwan either. James yesterday. I didn't either. Um, you know, is it in Derek Wolf or is it in Donnie B? <laughs> is it in Shelby Harris or is it in Elijah Wilkinson? Like, Or just Connor McGovern. Connor McGovern, the talent mm-hmm. and the money and the payroll and the high draft picks are all on that side. So it's going to be an unfair matchup any given day. And that's why when we take a step back and say if this team wants to be a playoff team, the offense needs to be average. So you need Juwan James to be good. You need uh, what a, a guard to be good. You need your center to be average. And then you could have a few kind of below average guys on that line as long as they come to be average, but you need the defense to be elite, top five, top three. I mean, to, to be really a competitor, you need this defense to be top three. And uh, will that be fair when a top three defensive line in front seven is going up against an average, which has below average players on it, offensive line? No, it's not going to be fair. Also, what I mean, what could Munchak have really done in three weeks? Yeah. Nothing. Sprinkle his fairy dust. Right. I mean, he can help their technique, but the the I mean, it takes at least a month. At yeah. least it's going to take until the very end of training camp for these guys to even be close to where Mike Munchak wants them to be. Right now, if they're trying to do what he's saying, they're thinking. And to my golfers out there, you'll understand this. If someone gives you a, a whole new setup on your swing. Like, you went in for a lesson, and they're like, okay, I need you to move your shoulder back a little bit. I need you to move that front forward up a little bit. When you're in your backswing, uh, you know, I, wanna, I want you to make sure that you don't get above three quarters because you're losing. They tell you 100 things. Mm-hmm. If you go out on the first tee <laughs> and you try and do all those things that day, right? you are going to be a mess. Yeah. But if you go to the driving range and you hit 100 balls just like that, and then you go back the next day, 
and you're thinking of that and you have a little list of all the things that you need to do differently and you hit 100 and you hit 100 and you go out there every single day and work on that well maybe after a month that becomes natural to you right but the first day anyone who's ever had a golf lesson will tell you the first day you're trying to tweak something you feel so uncomfortable mm-hmm. that when you get to the first tee, you're just going to go back to what you were doing because right. you don't f- you feel like you're going to pull it 60 yards left or blast it right whatever it is that's where those guys are at right now they are they've been told you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong and your technique needs to be better here and that's great it's going to take a while for that to be their natural reaction when they get hit in the face by Derek wolf's (laughs) massive palm (laughs) exactly next one from greatest show on dirt says hey guys first time commenter so here's the obligatory statement saying you guys do a great job with coverage thank you so much greatest show on dirt and welcome he says i joined during the free t-shirt promo and have been enjoying the pod for close to a year now what got me to finally leave a comment on the pod was all the recent love for iowa born and raised here it's good to know that there are more denver fans here than i thought i have family in littleton and when i was finally old enough to understand football as a kid they gave me a broncos gear as a present elway won his super bowl and the rest is history I'll try to make this count. So in terms of this year's squad, I remember discussions last year about not wanting to carry more than two quarterbacks on the active roster. Does that change if Brett Rippon sets the world on fire and they worry about losing him to another team or on waivers? Or what is the process involved in making sure he's stashed on the team this year? First of all, greatest show on dirt. Is he a dirt bike guy? Or is, I was assuming it was just like the football field, you know, the, the, Dirty gridiron. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think that, but that's like the greatest show on turf. Right. I'm thinking he is a big fan of motocross. Mm, and he lives in Iowa. Cause I could see that. Beyond brand, yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's like... Horses? Horse racing? Could be. Oh, um, maybe. <laughs> like a Kentucky Derby, big Kentucky yeah, Derby fan. Yeah, maybe he's got a, maybe he owns a horse that runs in those. All right. Well, let us know. (laughs) I'll answer your question first before I give you my um, true thoughts. Yes. If Brett Rippon sets the world on fire, they will keep, they will keep him on the active roster and just deal with having to inactivate one on Sundays and having three on the roster. Brett Rippon's different than Kyle Sloter. Kyle Kyle Sloter was like, shoot, we need someone to be a camp arm. Kyle. Hey, how about you? It, Brett, they gave the most guaranteed money to for an undrafted guy in John Elway's tenure. Exactly. Kyle Slaughter did throw the best pass anyone ever threw to Isaiah McKenzie. <laughs> and what was that? It was just a perfect deep ball, 40 <laughs> yards. Uh, I think that was the only deep ball Isaiah McKenzie ever caught. And of course, that was in the preseason. Um, here's the, the truth on Brett Ripon, which seems like it would be like a, a story. <laughs> Sounds like one of yours. He's probably not going to light the world on fire. Mm. He is right now the fourth string quarterback, probably be the third string quarterback eventually. And this is the most important part. Every team had at least five chances, mostly seven chances to get him and pass on him. Yeah. And I talked to a receiver yesterday who didn't even know his name. So <laughs> he's got a long way to go before he would be, um, considered a guy that you have to keep on the active roster so they don't get plucked. Um, you hope that happens for him. 
But there's probably a good chance that he's going to be going to the practice squad and the Broncos will be okay with that. Exactly, exactly. Next one from Tokyo Broncos says, Konnichiwa, Zach and Ryan. Spelled my name right. I appreciate that. Konnichiwa to you as well, Tokyo Bronco. He says, I see there's snow in Denver today. I hope y'all are staying warm and safe on the road. That wet snow is sometimes the worst for driving. I remember growing up in Castle Rock one year and we had a blizzard in May. Do you... do you think the guys will do a snow OTA this week? You mean a snow TA? <laughs> uh, there you go. And no, they won't. They'll be inside. Yeah, they will certainly be inside. <laughs> that would be silly and very risky at this point in the year. Yes. My question this week is about the Chris Harris Jr. contract situation. I haven't heard much mentioning about his broken fibula last year. I understand he's healed and he played in the Pro Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Do you guys think that's being taken into account in these negotiations? What are you guys' thoughts on his ability to play to the highest level that post-injury? I agree with you, Zach. Bosme might have a breakout season this year. Thanks for, all, thanks for always providing such great content. You guys rule. He didn't say that last part. <laughs> he didn't say that? <laughs> he didn't say you guys rule. He, oh, he said you rule. Where? What are you looking it's at? It's not on mine. <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> That's not on no my way. I'm reading the same thing. It ends at thanks for providing such great content. I've just been giving us compliments <laughs> that no one's actually been saying. Oh man. That's I I'm gonna believe that Don't now. Worry, I, have I'll to show double, you. I have to double check everything you say. Just giving us fake compliments out here. Uh I bet you one side is happily talking about Chris Harris Jr.'s exactly. quote unquote injury. Mm-hmm. Um and that's Chris, right? Yes, of course. No. <laughs> it's silly. We sat, uh, you know, 20 feet away from here with Chris, what, two and a half, three weeks after that injury? And he was like, if we were still in the playoff hunt, I'd be playing right now. Yep. He told us that right here on this podcast. Yep. So to try and bring that into the negotiations is silly. He got stepped on by a cleat, right? He played in the Pro Bowl, for goodness sake. So, yes, the Broncos are talking about it. Chris is blowing it off. And before we just move on. (laughs) I gotta highlight it. Do you if you scroll down, is this is there another comment from Tokyo Bronco? Like oh, double comment? Yep. Okay. So he commented twice. For some reason the only difference <laughs> was that one had you rule. That's a, he commented again to make sure we knew that we ruled. I'm glad you caught it. <laughs> uh, that was funny. Final question here from Bleeding Orange since nineteen eighty three. Says, Hey guys, asking you to look deep into your crystal ball. I'm a huge Fangio fan. And very excited he's leading our team. That said, what will be the biggest complaint about Fangio at the end of this season? He won too much. You know, the Broncos <laughs> won the Super Bowl, and it was just all about winning. It's funny because yesterday someone co- quote tweeted my Flacco thing and said, Flacco's biggest problem is that he's too good. <laughs> um, the biggest complaint from me or for you guys? For me, it'll be that he doesn't give us anything in press mm, conferences yeah, by the end of the year. There you go. From you guys, what will the fans' biggest complaint about Fangio be? You know what I think it's going to be? What? Um, slightly conservative moves. Mm. Moves of a defensive-minded head coach. Moves of it's fourth and one at the 51, and uh, it's a tie game with six minutes left, and everyone wants him to go for it. But he just says, we're going to pin them deep. And our defense is going to get the ball back, and we're going to get a fresh set of downs. Maybe a little bit of Bill Belichick in terms of when, when you know, you come off a great win, 
he's just like, uh, yeah, we have so many things to clean up. Uh, uh, move on next. Fans aren't going to care what he says after a win. But after, after a loss, I think it's going to be the same thing. And maybe, maybe they're going to want people, him to jump on people more. Now, he is going after players right now and calling them out. But I think it's not going to be as aggressive in the middle of a season. Yeah, I just think it's going to be um, just – I mean, the Broncos won a Super Bowl on conser- being conservative. So it's not a bad thing. But bad I'll be sitting up there in the, in the press box saying, go for it. It's fourth right. and one on the 51. What are you <laughs> yeah. doing? Yeah. You, you know, your running back's averaging five yards a carry yeah. or whatever. You know, uh, Flacco's the best short yardage quarterback in the game, according to the stats last year. He's 17 feet tall. Quarterback sneak it. Yeah, so I'll be, the, I'll be saying that too. Whatever, you know, I bet you they stick to the we're a defensive football team and we're going to punt the ball. Exactly. All right. That is going to wrap it up for us today on the BSN Broncos podcast. We're going to be talking to a couple players here shortly, so make sure you stay tuned to bsndenver.com to hear what the guys were saying. Make sure you're following us at Ryan Koenigsberg. Um, I'm pretty sure if you just type in at Ryan K-O, you'll probably get the rest filled in for you. Maybe just K. Maybe just Ryan. Oh, maybe R. Not quite. (laughs) Um, And then at Zach Stevens BSN. His is easy to spell. It's a V, not a PH. And it's a C, and nothing it's a C, else. not a CH. <laughs> no H's. He's an anti-H. It's true. Um, and that's going to wrap it up for us today. So we'll talk to you guys tomorrow on the BSN Broncos podcast. It's getting me down, waiting for you. It's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. 
What's also ideal about Weinster is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Weinster.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.